0: What I wanted to just come right out and say on this Easter Sunday is just have you think about something. We know that we're going to be talking about the resurrection of Jesus, but what I would ask you to consider is, what if it's true? What if it's true? What if the resurrection of Jesus is true? So I want to kind of put that in your mind uh, on this Lord's Day as we begin to dive in the text in just a few moments. But on Friday, Dr. Wilson preached a very solid Helpful message uh, on Good Friday and uh, one of the things we learn that because of Good Friday We can look back as Christians and not be fa- afraid we can look back and not be afraid But because of Easter those of us that are in Christ can look ahead and not be afraid So brothers and sisters in Christ here's what we know for sure that the grave is Empty that the grave clothes have been replaced with the grace clothes. So with that in view, I would ask that you would stand up so that we can honor the Word of God as a church family this morning. We want to honor the Word. And I'm going to go through chapter 24, verses 1 through 12. Again, the verses will be on the screen. I'll be reading from the ESV translation. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared. And they found the stone It was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why? Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember, remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise. And they, this is good news, remembered his words and returning from the tomb they told all these things to the eleven those are disciples and to all the rest now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the Apostles but these words (laughs) seemed to them an idle tale And they, the disciples, did not believe them. But Peter rose and he ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. So reads God's holy and inerrant word. You may be seated. The resurrection of Jesus. Again, what if it's true? Brothers and sisters, even those of you that are in Christ, what you believe about the resurrection of Jesus will determine how you live. What you believe about the resurrection of Jesus will also determine what you live for. What you believe about the resurrection of Jesus will determine, listen, where you will spend eternity according to the word of God. You see, the resurrection of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus is the cornerstone of the Christian faith. The Apostle Paul said this about the resurrection, in 1 Corinthians 15, 14 through 15, it will be on the screen. And if Christ, remember these are the words of the Apostle Paul, and if Christ has not been raised, if he has not been raised, then all of our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles would all be lying about God, for we have said or have been saying that God raised Christ from the dead. But that can't be true if there is no resurrection. Without the resurrection, we got nothing. So the resurrection is cri- it's critical. It's important not only to believe, but what do we do with what we believe? Because what we believe about the resurrection will change the way we live if we are in Christ. You know, popular media personalities, uh, Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro, they don't think that the resurrection is true. Let me say that again. Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro, they don't think that the resurrection is true. Joe Rogan said this. He said, the resurrection of Jesus, you know, it seems to be fishy to me. Interesting. Ben Shapiro, more than a few of you follow him. This is what he said. I quote, the Old Testament never, never once predicted Jesus. Some of you are going to go look that up. Well, I would say, and I trust that you would say, that Mr. Shapiro would be wrong because the Old Testament book of Isaiah 53, I think, pretty much makes it clear. Can I go into Isaiah 53 and shadow that misconception? It says this in Isaiah 53. Uh, He was despised and rejected. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. But he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. Do we need more evidence? Let's keep going. Verse 6. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and he was treated harshly. Uh, Yet he never said a word. He was led, Jesus was, like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Verse 8 of 53, unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong. He was perfect and holy and righteous and had never deceived anyone. But he was buried. He was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. And because of his experience, My righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all of their sins. Mr. Shapiro is a very smart man. He went to Harvard. But just because you're smart and intellectually smart doesn't mean that you're going to get things right. All of us, no matter how smart we are, are wrong on many things. And I think the gospel will determine or will help us as we go through the gospel and look at the words of Christ. And we look at this account of the resurrection. We don't want to be wrong about this. Because heaven and hell weighs in the balance. Beloved, I said earlier as I opened things up, because of Good Friday we can look back and not be afraid. And because of Easter we can look ahead and not be afraid. But I say these things, and we know how things end. That's why a Good Friday service is very difficult to preach to those who believe in the resurrected Jesus, because we're always thinking about Sunday, and that's a good thing. But as we look and examine Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, 1 through 12, it suggests that the women who arrived at the tomb, they were not there to celebrate a resurrected Jesus. Let me say that again. They knew Jesus. But they were not there. They did not go to that tomb to celebrate a resurrected Jesus. What they actually expected was more sorrow. Even more sorrow than they were already experiencing. Look at verses one through three. Let me just point this to you, point this out to you in the text. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they, meaning the ladies, They went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. They did not come to see a resurrected Jesus. They were coming. They came to prepare Jesus' body for a proper burial. That's what the text teaches. These women were the last people to see Jesus. They were the last, not the last people, CG, they were the last people to leave the cross. And they were the first to arrive at this empty tomb, these ladies. They were there when he died. They watched him die. They watched Joseph of Arimathea. They watched him take the lifeless body of Jesus down from the cross and lay him in that unused tomb. They were there. They watched carefully where that body was being laid. And then, of course, as we have reading, they went home, Uh, to prepare the spices that are needed for the proper burial. The ladies have come to pay their last respects for a man that they loved. That's what the ladies were doing. But what they believe about the resurrection of Jesus, it starts to shift because obviously they did not believe in a resurrected Jesus. The light hadn't gone on yet. But that begins to change. It begins to shift as we start to go through uh, the rest of the text. But in order for their minds to shift, the Lord does something. He intervenes. And there's divine intervention that we see in our text as God sends two angels to the women. We see that in verses 2 through 4. Allow me to read. And they found the stone... It was rolled away from the tomb, and when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. The scripture teaches us that they were perplexed. They were utterly at a loss for what they were seeing. They did not expect it. They were at a loss for words. They were exhausted. They were depressed and they were mourning. Was the body stolen, some of them said. What's going on here? This is not the way we thought it was going to be. Yet God made sure that they were not alone. Because two others were there. These two men stood by the ladies in what the scripture teaches as dazzling apparel dazzling apparel these men were angels and they radiated at this moment the splendor of a holy and a righteous God this descriptor of their clothing dazzling apparel or his word dazzling is used to describe the shining garments on the Mount of the Transfiguration in Luke nine twenty-nine. same language these are angels again divine intervention Angels, what are they for? Well, listen, everything that's been created by God is to glorify God. The chief aim of man is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the chief aim. But angels are an instrument that God uses like He uses you, but they are messengers of God. That's what an angel is, a messenger of God. And when they appear to humans, now listen, it doesn't happen very often. But when these angels appear to humans, they are usually clothed in this dazzling apparel. And when they appear to humans, it typically leads to the response that we see in verse 5. Some of us say, I just if the Lord would just send me an angel, trust me, you wouldn't know what to do with it. And I bet you, your response would be a lot like these ladies in verse 5. Let's see how they handled this angel that was sent to them. And as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, they're frightened. That's what the text says. They fell on their faces. Perhaps maybe even act of worship, perhaps. Well, the angels, when they serve God, they don't allow that. They don't worship anything but God, including angels. So they quickly jump in and have a few things to say. But they were awestruck. The women were mesmerized. The women were captivated. That's why they bowed and they worshiped. Yet the angels speak. And as they do speak, they give a mild rebuke. All of us need a mild rebuke from time to time. It may not be about the resurrection, but we all need a mild rebuke from time to time. And the angels, being God's ambassadors or messengers, provide that rebuke. And we see that also In the scripture so we see uh, as we look at this I I would just want to frame this this is perhaps the most glorious question ever asked in the entirety of the Bible the men said to them the angel said to them why do you seek the living among the dead he is not Here he has risen. That's what he says. Jesus, to translate, has died. He's risen from the dead. He's done this just like he has predicted that he would do. Just like he told them that he would be crucified and rise again on the third day. He has been saying this. We see that in Luke's gospel, not chapter nine, verses 21 and 22, Luke's gospel chapter 18, 31 through 33, and all over the Bible. He made it known this heavenly rebuke given by the angels to these women helped the women. This rebuke wasn't to put their noses in it, it was to help them to grow. To grow in godliness and ultimately they needed to be reminded of who God is and what he has done. So again, verse 8 says, And they remembered his words. Whose words? Jesus' words. They remember now him speaking. The gentle rebuke opens up their eyes to see what they needed to see. The resurrection of Jesus, what if it's true? Well, we know that they believed it to be true, and it begins to change everything as the gospel does. And the resurrection of Jesus is certainly a key component of the gospel. Without the resurrection, there is no gospel. They remembered, the ladies did. They were no longer perplexed. They now understood why the tomb was empty. That Jesus was not amongst the dead. That he was amongst the living. And that the resurrection is true. This was good news. As it would be good news for you now, it was good news for them back then. They'd realized and sorted out that Jesus was not the victim, but the victor. And that's important. Not the victim, but the victor. He knew what he was going to do. He literally came to this earth And that was his plan, to go to a cross to be slaughtered for our iniquities. He knew it all along. So we see this start to unravel, this good news. He was the victor over sin. He was the victor over death. It meant that when they died, when the ladies died, or those of you that are in Christ, when you die, that you would live again with God. But I find it interesting, the pattern of the New Testament, and we see it here. That these women, as they believed the good news of the resurrection, they begin to do something. They begin to share with others what they just learned. They're sharing their faith. We see that these women go and share what they've seen, what they've heard, what they know, what they believe. Because this is what happens for those of us that are in Christ. Found people, find people. You see, If it's really good news, when you have good news, we can't wait to share it with other people. And they could not wait to share it with others. Do you? Do you share the good news of the gospel? This news is so good that the text shows us that they immediately went out and found who? The remaining disciples. And then it also says, and all of the followers it wasn't just the disciples it was all of the followers all the followers of Christ to tell them about the resurrected Jesus but I think it's interesting guys let's pick on ourselves a little bit we see that the women need a little bit of help but the guys need a lot of help look at verses 9 through 11 to see how these men responded to this good news of the gospel Remember, divine intervention angels 9 to 11, and returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. So again, and returning from the tomb, the ladies told all of these things to the eleven disciples and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and, the Mary, of, and Mary, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women. Remember, they're naming the women, they're people. So there and the other women with them who told these things told these things to the disciples told them what they just got done seeing But these words so as the disciples hear it verse 11 says but these words seemed to them like an idle tale and they did not believe them Brothers and sisters When Good Friday was going on, or Friday, they didn't think it was good. They weren't huddled around getting ready to celebrate the victory parade. That's not what they were doing. Neither were the ladies. But no one here at the beginning of the text is saying, I believe in a resurrected Jesus. Not yet. But I just want you to notice a theme, a pattern, how Jesus keeps coming to them. He keeps coming to them and he keeps revealing to them and revealing to them. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. And I believe it's going to happen here on this Lord's Day. But the text says they did not believe. The disciples did not believe. They did not believe and they called. Not only did they not believe, they said, that's an idle tale. That's a fairy tale. You ever heard anybody call Christianity a fairy tale? You see. We have to learn that not everyone who hears the good news of the gospel will respond to the gospel. Even if it's good news to you, not everybody's going to respond. As a matter of fact, the Bible says there's a narrow gate and few find it. Yet, as we have learned in our studies over the last year, but God. But God, God intervenes. God is doing something. He hears the hearts of his people who pray and he moves mountains on our behalf. And it looks like mountains are being moved. I'm believing that God will move a few mountains on this Lord's day. But God is up to something, clearly in the text. This historical document, this Bible we have, he's up to something. He's always up to something. Sometimes he sends angels. Sometimes he just sends us his word, just his word. you got the inspired word of God in your laps. This God of the Bible has the ability to change hearts, change you, change situations, even of the most hardened men and women. Remember the thief on the cross? A hard man. Two of them. One repented. And the Lord said, today you will see me in paradise. He changes the hearts. He draws men unto himself. He changes people's view on the resurrection. I pray that he would change Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro's position. I pray for some of you who might think like those guys, that he would change the way that you look at the resurrection but I want you to look at verse 12 It says this but Peter rose and he he ran to the tomb stooping and looking in he saw the linen cloths he saw the linen cloths by themselves and he went home marveling at what had happened Peter unlike the others, he at least gets up and runs and decides to investigate what's going on. His investigation of the events, sticking his head into that empty tomb, it, it, it led to him marveling what he was seeing. But it's important that it did not cause him to believe. And there are a lot of people who marvel at the Word of God and the stories of uh, of what's in God's Word. And they marvel at it. They marvel at historic that it's historical. They love what they're reading. They agree with it. But it doesn't cause them to believe. Peter saw the empty tomb, but he was still miles away from an Easter faith. Friday and the death of Jesus was just too much for Peter. It was too much for the disciples to bear. You see, they're not thinking about Sunday. They're still thinking about Friday. You're thinking about Sunday, but they weren't. That's not where they were. To see what they saw, to see things unravel that way, that was not what they We're expecting. They were fixated on the death of Friday, not the life of Sunday. You know, one author said this, and I thought it was helpful. He said this. It's another man's words. It's Friday. Peter's sleeping. Judas is betraying. But Sunday's a coming. It's Friday. Pilate's struggling. The council is conspiring. The crowd is vilifying. They don't even know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are running like sheep without a shepherd. Mary's crying. Peter is denying, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday, the Romans have beaten Jesus, they robe him in scarlet, they crown him with thorns, but they don't know that Sunday's coming. It's Friday, Jesus is walking to Calvary, his blood is dripping, his body is stumbling, and his spirit is burdened, but you see, it's only Friday because Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The world is winning. The people continue to sin. And evil is grinning. It's Friday. The soldiers have, my, have nailed my Savior's hands to the cross. They nailed my Savior's feet to the cross. And, they, and then they raise him up next to criminals. It's Friday. But let me tell you something. Sunday's coming. It's Friday. The disciples are questioning what has happened to their king. And the Pharisees are celebrating that their scheming has been achieved but they do not know that it's Friday Sunday's coming it's Friday he's hanging on the cross he's feeling forsaken by his father he is left alone and is dying can anyone save Jesus Christ it's Friday but Sunday's a coming the earth trembles the sky grows dark my King yields a spirit it's Friday hope is lost Death has won, sin is conquered, and Satan's just a laughing. It's Friday, Jesus is buried, a soldier stands guard, and a rock is rolled into its place. But it's Friday. It's only Friday, and Sunday's coming. You know that. You know the end of the book. You've got inspired scripture in your hand. They didn't know, they should have known. But imagine the responsibility placed on us who know the whole story. We know it all. We have to think about these things. We have to consider the evidence. Think about what God is showing us through this scripture. So how is it that Jesus gets these disciples from a mentality of Friday? To the victorious mentality of a Sunday. How is the Lord going to do it? How is he divinely going to get inside of this situation? What's he going to do? First off, Jesus inserts himself into a conversation by literally walking alongside of a couple of people walking. We see that in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, verse 13. He starts a conversation. Remember, the events have already happened. Jesus has been crucified. Jesus has been resurrected. It's going around town. People are talking about it. And Jesus comes alongside of a couple of people who are talking about that. Have you not heard what happened? This Jesus is crucified. There's talk going on for a bunch of ladies. He was resurrected, came from the dead, and they're talking. And I want you to pick up the scene. Luke's gospel 24, 25 through 48. Just listen to these words. And he said to them, this is Jesus, oh, you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer, should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, 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 and he, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself, verse 28. So they drew near to the village to which they were going, And he, Jesus, acted as if he was going further. But they urged him. These these people urged him, urged Jesus, saying, Stay with us. Stay with us, Jesus. For it is toward... They didn't know who he was. Stay with us. For it is toward evening, and the day is now far spent. So he, Jesus, went in to stay with them. Verse 30. When he was at the table with them, he took the bread. So remember, Jesus goes in. He's invited in and he goes in and he goes and he. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. Now, look what happens in 32. Divine intervention. And their eyes were open and they recognized him. And then what happened? He vanished from their sight. They said to each other, listen to this the two men, after encountering Jesus. Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us? While he talked to us on the road? While he opened up the scriptures to us? 33. And they rose that same hour, these men, these two people, and they returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven, and those who were with them, gathered together. Verse 34. And as they gathered, these men said, The Lord has risen indeed. And He has appeared to Simon. That's Peter. And now he, has appeared, he, has a, he has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how He was known to them. How He was known to them in the breaking of the bread. 36. As they were talking about these things, Jesus Himself Jesus himself stood with them and said to them, verse 36, think about this. Look what's happening. He's inserted himself into the situation again. And as they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace to you. Here's the response. Remember the ladies? Here's the men. They were startled and frightened. And they thought they they saw a spirit. And he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do, you, why do doubts arise in your heart? Verse 39, I want you to see my hands. I want you to see my feet, that it is I myself. I want you to touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when they had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for, for joy and were marveling, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? So Jesus asking for food. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate before them. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. 45, then, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. Look at the intervention of God. Look at what he's doing. God sent angels to the ladies to remind them that Jesus is alive. God now sends his son Jesus into this world and Jesus himself, God incarnate is now revealing himself to those who do not believe the resurrection and more and more are coming to an understanding of who this Jesus is that he is in fact the Messiah the chosen one the anointed one the one that's come to set the captives free because Jesus Christ came to this world for two purposes to seek and save that which is lost and to bear witness to the truth that's why he came that was his mission but I can't think about what he just, I just got done reading in 2430. He says, it says the, the account says, when he was at the table with them, Jesus, he took the bread and he blessed it and he broke it and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open. I just want you to imagine you sitting in a group with Jesus and you're taking the Lord's supper communion with him and you put it, and as he's giving out the bread as he gives that out and you're looking at those pierced hands of Jesus he's asking them to partake in the Lord's supper he shows them his nailed His scarred, nailed hands. And just as he had with the ladies at the tomb, he once again will open the eyes of the blind. Has Jesus opened your eyes? I mean, really opened his eyes. Not, yeah, yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. I mean, has he opened your eyes? Can you see? Do you believe? You know, one of the things often asked of a preacher is, if you were to die tonight, do you know where you would spend eternity? It is a great question to ask because it makes us think about things. Do we know where we will spend eternity? If tonight was the last day that we, we ever lived, where would we spend eternity? Think about that for a moment. I'll come back to it. I want us to consider verse 32 where it says, and I'll trust the Holy Spirit to enlighten more than a few today. And by the way, I'm not just talking about non-Christians. It's certainly got evangelistic overtones here, but even though you've been Christians for 50 years, I want you to consider this verse. Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked to us on the road while he opened up the scriptures let me read it again did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road while he opened while he opened to us the scriptures does your heart burn for jesus does your heart burn when the scriptures are opened up and preached or declared or read Or were you a lot like me not too many years ago where I had all the facts but I didn't have the faith to go with the facts? Maybe that's your story. Part of my story is for many years I knew the story of the Bible but I didn't know the storyteller. I knew parts of the story but in my life I needed Jesus to fill in a lot of blanks to help me, to help me see just like the disciples and just like these women and probably just like you. Once I understood the full story, the story came together for me. You see, There was a time in my life where I knew about Jesus, but I did not know Jesus. The resurrection of Jesus. What if it's true? What if it's true? I thank God because of his grace. I did, in fact, hear the gospel because someone was kind enough to me, a dear friend of mine, Easy's Wayne, as you know, handed me a a CD when I was in business as the hell's best kept secret. I listened to that Preacher preached that word, and I heard things I never heard before. And I was in church most weeks, but I wasn't saved. This preacher opened up the Bible and let the Bible speak for itself. No pomp, no circumstances, no smoke machines, no Starbucks to make me feel good. He didn't water it down, but he was gracious and kind. He just gave it to me straight. That's what I wanted. And I heard it. And I found out for the first time why Good Friday is good. I found out that I was not good. I learned that it was me that put Jesus on the cross because those of us who are in Christ know that He took our sins upon Himself. I put Him there. It was my sin. And judgment was coming. I knew I was a dead man walking. I knew that I had sinned against a holy and a righteous God. I was explained sin for the first time in my life. They took me through the Ten Commandments, and in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not lie, thou shalt not steal, and all these things. And It was asked, the preacher asked the question, are you guilty of breaking just one of those laws? And of course, my answer was yes. And he says, well, then you are guilty of breaking them all. And he read scripture, and I remember my eyes began to open. And he says the the penalty for sin is death, hell, separation from God. But he went on to say the good news that Jesus Christ did what he said he was going to do. He did die and he did rise again and he now has authority over death and he gives life to those who will repent of their sins and place their faith in Christ. He promises to give us new life for those who would repent, to turn from their sins, and place their faith in Him. So what you believe about Jesus will determine how you live. Not what you say, how you live. How you live determines if you believe the resurrection is true. If you do, if you believe the resurrection is true, there will be evidence of such faith in your life. Just as Jesus is alive, you'll become alive. Alive for the things that please him. You see, you will demonstrate this new faith with this new heart that you've been given. As he takes out your old heart metaphorically and gives you a new heart. And that new heart will give you new desires. Those desires will lead you to love the things that God loves and hate the things that God hates. This new life, this regeneration, this Holy Spirit that dwells within you will enable you to do something that you will love God, love people, and make disciples. What I'd ask for you to consider on this day as I come to a close just think about what you've heard. Allow the scripture to speak to you. What if it's true?